Welcome to the show today, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. We have a really special guest for you today, Dr. Bill Lyle, pro-life doc, prolifedoc.org. Uh, I, I, it takes a brave man to go by that title in today's um, political climate, though I'm sure Dr. Bill would tell you um, he's just doing his job. Uh, but it's refreshing to have brave doctors and OBGYNs. Um, who are willing to say that every person is a patient, every human being is a patient and not to be treated as such. You may have seen some of his viral clips responding to, you know, the follow the science Fauci's, you know, fake science, you know, the philosophy of personhood that masquerades as science. And he and Dr. Bill has just applied the truth in these viral response clips you may have seen over the years. Uh, he's a precious man, precious brother and defender of the least of these. In 1999, Dr. Bill Lyle um, took over a Practice that was the largest uh, provider of abortion services in Pensacola, Florida, and immediately stopped all abortion services and referrals. He's a board certified in obstetrics and gynecology and former OBGYN department chair. He has served as an instructor with both the University of Florida and Florida State Medical School OBGYN residency programs. He's going to be a breath of fresh air for you. Buckle up, you're in for a treat. I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. Dr. Bell, welcome to the show, brother. Well, thank you very much, Seth. It's an honor to be on. Yes, thank you, man. I've I've admired you from afar for a while, and then uh, I think we had a, a good mutual friend, Betsy Gray, uh, who's sort of a, a spiritual grandmother to me and a longtime pregnancy resource center director who's now launching Pro-Life Bank with Nick Vujicic, who told me that I was long overdue in connecting with you. Um, so I'm glad we were finally able to coordinate to have you on the show. Um, a, a lot of people um, are not aware of your, your story, but those in the pro-life movement have seen sort of your videos and speaking for a while. So I wanted you to tell your story before we get into kind of what you're up to now. I, we gave a teaser at the, at the front of the show, but it's a beautiful story uh, how God used you to shut down a killing center um, and turn it into a place of life. Um, but, but let's rewind even before there, Bill. Um, how did you get involved in medicine, and when did God sort of begin to burden your heart for the unborn? Well, I guess I got involved in medicine as a young child when I had several surgeries when I was a child. Uh, everything from an appendectomy to plastic surgery after injuries, and you know, I just started to have an interest in that field, and then throughout uh, college and then applied for medical school. And so you still don't know what you want to do as a specialty, but I found myself on orthopedic rotations, but studying obstetrics. And there was just something very wow. special about bringing new life into the womb and really having two patients where you had the patient, that the mom, but then you also always had that second patient of the baby inside of the womb. And to see that baby on the inside, I said, this is for me. And so I did my residency at the University of Florida in obstetrics and gynecology. And then in 99, when I finished, I was looking around for a practice to either join or to start. And the practice that we approached was actually the largest provider of abortions in the Florida panhandle area. And we negotiated a price. We took over the practice and didn't tell our other intentions. But on day one, we stopped all abortions and all abortion referrals. And we told the staff that they are welcome to stay, but there are going to be some big changes. And if you refer somebody for an abortion, pack your desk and that'll be your last day. 
and we thought we had done a good thing. And it wasn't until it was a Sunday afternoon when I had, you know, finished going to church and actually had a key for the office. And I went over to the office, opened it up, and I'd never been upstairs. We had seen the first floor with all the, you know, waiting area, exam rooms, offices, but I'd never been to the surgical suite upstairs. And so I walked up those gray stairs going upstairs and I couldn't help but think how many thousands of moms had walked up that same set of stairs, made a turn at the top and then spent 20 or 30 minutes in that room and then walked down that same set of stairs without that baby on the inside. I mean, when it comes to our location, there are churches that have thousands of people attending attending there on a Sunday. Pensacola Christian College is on the exact same road. How has this been going on for decades and thousands of babies? So I really felt the call for this ministry. And so we started Pro-Life Doc Incorporated then. And we started doing talks at different area churches. Yeah, it was 1999. So now we go coast to coast, international, really showing, using the tools of modern obstetrics to show that it's not just a blob of tissues, that not only is it a tiny person, but it's a patient on the inside. And in a lot of ways, this is an issue of patients' rights. It's a spiritual battle, no doubt, if we're going to go into this battle without the power of prayer and scripture and biblical foundations, we're not going to win. But the modern technology just helps us. Let the baby defend themselves. And we are able to lecture at universities, medical schools. And in that venue, you can't use scripture because they're not going to recognize that as an authoritative source. But the topic of patients' rights just sings out. And so that's really the emphasis. Talk about how we treat the preborn as patients, how this is a spiritual battle, the forgiveness that's available, you know, through Jesus Christ, and also how we can also do abortion pill reversal. So that keeps our plate full. We try to educate, we try to motivate, but we don't just want somebody to come into a conference and say, I was a level seven, I left as a level nine. That doesn't do anything. We need to give them tools that they can put in their toolbox so they get with their families, their coworkers, or their friends. They can bring up easy to remember examples of us treating the preborn as patients because a patient is a person no matter how small. Uh, that's yeah, that's incredible, uh, Dr. Bill. Thank you for sharing that. I, I wanted you to share a little bit about uh, some of the videos that uh, you felt compelled to create. Nothing special or fancy, but they took off. And in regards to the story of you discovering uh, some of the instruments and tools that were still left at this former abortion center, um, you had done some videos years ago kind of actually showing people how these tools of death are used, like with paint, like canisters and stuff like that. Sure. Uh, can, can you share some of the stories about um, some of your public's um, sort of voice that you started putting videos out and responding to pro-abortion arguments, showing the reality of how babies are killed? Because some of these racked up half a million, million views um, because of the level of ignorance, as we all know in the society regarding abortion. I mean, most people who are pro-choice could not tell you that, that the different types of abortions, the tools that are used... Uh, the you know the um, ability of the baby to feel pain. I mean, they're completely ignorant. And and as a doctor, I mean, you exposed a lot of that for the common man. You want to share a little bit about that and some of the horrors of what was left behind at this at this killing center? 
Sure. Well, when we took over the practice, everything was set up as if they were going to perform abortions on Monday. The suction machine was still there, all the instruments, securettes, everything was laid out up in the surgical suite upstairs, just with you know, an exam table waiting for the next patient. And when I looked at that, I thought people just don't realize what's been going on here in Pensacola, and they don't have a real good visual as far as what an abortion actually is. All of the truth and the information is on our side, and it helps our cause. So revealing the truth, not only of who the patients are, but how they are killed with these instruments, it's just vital. Give people the truth and let them make their decisions. The suction machine essentially is about the size of a small desk, and it has the same horsepower engine underneath that a garbage disposal would have. But how can you demonstrate the suction power? Well, we just took the exact same suction curette and we placed it into the top of a steel paint thinner can. Now, I didn't know what was gonna happen, but we turned on the suction machine and the paint thinner can just collapsed like an aluminum soda can. And that's the kind of force that is applied to the inside of the uterus with this tube about the size of my finger that goes up through the cervix and is there right where this delicate little baby is. And so we demonstrated that being a first trimester abortion. And then we demonstrated with the different types of uh, forceps and curettes how a second trimester is done, how the baby is literally dismembered and torn limb from limb. And then we showed how a partial birth abortion is done, how one leg, then the other leg, the abdomen, the chest, both arms. And then finally, after the baby is killed, then the rest of the baby. And the only thing that was left inside of the mom is the head right there in the vagina. It's already left the womb. So the truth is a valuable tool. It is on our side. Our culture is such a visual culture, especially our kids. They are always looking to see videos and, you know, you know, whether it's YouTube or some other source, they're always happy to see a video, a TikTok, you know, we do TikTok videos. But if a picture's worth a thousand words, then a video is worth a million words. And I've just done some simple videos, like when New York State made abortion legal up to any gestational age, up to term, and you saw the legislators cheering with glee inside of their Capitol building, I was upset. This is not medicine. This is not healing. That's what I've spent my life, you know, striving to have healthy moms and healthy babies. And so I put up a video and said, as a physician who's dedicated his life to having healthy moms and healthy babies, this makes me angry. And then I just put it up on YouTube and then went about my day seeing patients. And somebody called me a few hours later. In 10 days, we had 4 million views. And so there's definitely an interest in understanding the truth. And so that's why the tools themselves are not evil. It's how somebody uses those tools that is evil. That's right. Yeah. Wow. That's beautiful, Bill. Um, we, uh, I, I've seen some wonderful <laughs> clips of you um, recently um, on different stages. You've shared a little bit about uh, how you interact with college students. And so from a doctor's perspective, um, I wanted you to share um, just the most simple, basic, medical, hashtag science, right? We heard that term a lot in the last two years, Bill. Sure. Follow the science um, case for the the humanity and the patient status of the unborn child. And you have some really creative, beautiful ways of, of how you sort of prick people's conscience, if you will, and create cognitive dissonance yeah. 
to come home to the truth that they've been suppressing through ideology and politics that of course these are human beings, of course these are patients. You've done that in a few different cool ways, but I think it'll, it'll really put a smile on our listeners' face and give them some tools to defend life as well. Well, one of the tools that we use isn't just useful in medical schools. It's a great tool to use when you're with somebody who is a representative official or somebody who is running for office. And ask them this, these couple simple questions. Are you an advocate for patients' rights? Well, anybody who is running for office, of course, is, well, yes, I am an advocate for patients' rights. And then ask them, are you an advocate for patients' rights even if they weren't born in the United States. Well, of course, they're assuming you're thinking they're here in the country illegally from another country, and they'll say, well, yes, I'm an advocate for patients, even if they haven't been born in the United States. And this is a tool we use with the medical students. I ask the medical students, if I have a patient in my office that desperately needs a blood transfusion, and if they don't get a blood transfusion, they will die, but they were not born in the United States. Do I have a medical, moral, legal obligation to find them access to that blood transfusion? And of course, all the medical students are nodding their head going, yes, you do. I said, well, what if it's more expensive? What if they need laser vascular surgery? And if they don't get this laser vascular surgery, they will die. But again, they weren't born in the United States. Well, now the kids are kind of getting annoyed and they're saying, doesn't matter. I said, okay. Let's say it's a patient in my office that needs a life-saving open heart surgery. And if they don't get this open heart surgery, they will die. But again, they were not born in the United States. Do I have a medical, moral, and legal obligation to provide them access to that open heart surgery? We were at a lecture and one of the students in the back stood up very boldly and he said, Dr. Lyle, it doesn't matter if they were born in the United States. We've been taught here that a patient is a person is entitled to respect and bodily integrity. I said, I agree with you 100%. We need to get these patients of mine access to these uh, types of care. I said, there's only one thing that I didn't tell you about. And the reason these patients weren't born in the United States is because they have not been born yet. They are still in their mother's womb, but they are clearly my patients and yes, we are routinely doing these procedures on patients in the womb. We are doing blood transfusions as early as 18 weeks gestation. I mean, they, really? they're not even halfway through the pregnancy. They can't start to survive, but it's not just that we can, but it's why are we doing blood transfusions? On the first day that a pregnant mom walks into my office, the first blood test that we do looks for antibodies in the mother's blood. And if those antibodies cross the placenta, they can actually attack the baby's blood because from the moment of conception, the baby is a different person from the mother. Moms and babies not only can have different genders half the time, but moms and babies can even have different blood types. And the mom can see the baby's blood type as foreign and attack it. Well, if the baby's blood type is dropping, baby can actually die and go into heart failure unless we give the baby a blood transfusion. Well, where do you get special baby blood? Well, it's not baby blood. It's blood that if your office or your church had a blood drive and you went up to that bus and you have O negative blood and you gave us a pint of your blood, we could use your blood and transfuse it directly into the umbilical cord of the baby. We can guide a needle with an ultrasound through the skin, through the wall of the uterus, go right up to the umbilical cord and give the baby a life-saving blood transfusion. So if you're giving a baby a blood transfusion, 
are they a patient? Well, yeah, of course they're a patient. And a patient is a person. And that is what we are all taught in medical school. We're taught two rules. Number one, prima non necessary. And that is Latin for first of all, do no harm. And second, a patient is a person is entitled to respect and bodily integrity. Those two rules are what we use to defend God's pre-born. But we're not just doing blood transfusions. We're actually doing open heart surgery on babies on the inside. Cleveland Clinic posted an amazing illustration of an open heart surgery that they did on a baby. It was even for a physician who deals with lots of high risk. It was like, that is impressive. And they saw a baby that had a teratoma, a tumor inside the heart. And the heart is really a pump. And if you are pumping up your bicycle pump and then you happen to throw a, a walnut into the, the cavity of the bicycle pump, it's not gonna pump real well. So this baby had this growing tumor and baby was going to die unless they could remove this tumor. So they planned and they strategized and all the experts got together. And, and what they did was they gave anesthesia to the mom and they put mom to sleep, but that doesn't knock the baby necessarily out. Then they made an incision in the mom's skin. They made an incision in the uterus, like a little mini C-section. And then they opened up the womb, I mean, a womb with a view. And then they brought the right arm out and the left arm out. So the baby's head and abdomen and feet are still there inside of the mom's womb. The only thing that's exposed are the two arms and the baby's chest. Well, why did they pull the arms out? And even the first time I was reading about this, I'm like, why? because they wanted to start an IV on the baby's arm. Give the baby hydration, give them fluids and be able to manage pain by giving the baby access to the veins so that the, they could manage the health of the baby during the surgery, just like my patients that would have an IV started. Then they opened up the baby's chest, they removed the tumor from the heart and almost immediately when they removed that tumor from the baby's heart, the heart started to pump very, very well. And we had improved blood flow. They'd saved that baby's life. Then they closed up the baby's chest. They put the arms back in. They remembered to take the IV out of the baby's arm, take the tape off and, and put the baby back in, closed up the uterus, closed up the mom. And then a couple months later, they did a C-section and the baby did great. So if we can now do open heart surgery, start an IV on the baby, do the surgery, and then put the baby back and say, I'll be back in a couple of months, I'll see you there, and we'll deliver you via C-section, that is a patient. And that is one of the cardinal things when it comes to healthcare and medicine, that a patient is a person. And then you can even go deeper with the medical students and ask them about informed consent, because that is a huge subject as far as giving patients the risks, benefits, indications, and alternatives before you have a surgery done. So we asked the students recently, we said, if I'm gonna be doing surgery on the mom to do surgery on the baby, give me three risks and benefits. So the kids are like, well, the risk to the mom, you know, she has the risk of bleeding and infection, and she's probably going to have, have C-sections for the rest of her pregnancies. I said, okay, those are the risks. Give me the benefits to the mom. I said, give me three benefits, silence. I said, give me two benefits, silence. Give me one benefit to the mom because we don't do surgery unless there's a benefit. We don't just cut people open because we can. There has to be a benefit. I said, give me the benefit to the mom as a patient complete silence. I said, you guys are sharp. I said, so if the mom who is a patient doesn't benefit, can somebody tell me where the benefit lies? 
young girl in the front raised her hand. She goes, does the baby benefit? I said, absolutely. The baby benefits because the baby's life has been saved because we have made the, in, the decision to treat this baby in the womb as a patient. So by definition, by you saying the baby is the beneficiary and there are no benefits to the mom, there's just risks to the mom, then the baby is the patient. And we've already defined that a patient is a person no matter how small. And these are the kind of examples and tools that we'd like people to understand. But it's not just heart surgery. We're now correcting spina bifida inside of the womb where a baby has a defect in the spine. We've all seen those pictures of Samuel Armas who has his hand sticking out of the womb while they're doing surgery to repair his spinal defect. And it's not just a matter that we can repair a defect in the spine. The question is, well, do the kids do better? Well, we've been doing this for over 10 years now. And we have a study that was released January of 2021, where they compared if a baby gets the surgery in the womb to repair the defect in the spine versus waiting until after the baby is born and then repairing the defect in the spine, which group does better? And what the data, what the science actually showed was that the babies who had the repair in the womb, 10 years later, they could go upstairs faster. They could go downstairs faster. They had better control of their bladders. They had better control of their bowels. We have improved their quality of life and health and care for the rest of their lives because we treated them as a patient in the womb. Medicine can't cure everything but our goal is to improve quality of life. So by treating them as a patient in the womb, we change their quality of life for the rest of their lives. And we're just at the inception of treating the preborn as patients. Children's Hospital of Philadelphia just celebrated their 2000th fetal procedure. So if one center is doing a surgery almost every Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, this is not a rare and unique procedure that is being done. This is now standard of care. And I've got a picture in one of my talks and it shows Samuel Armas there in the womb and it shows his hand coming out. And then we have another picture of an eight-year-old. Then we have another picture of a 17-year-old all in the same slide. It's like, which of these is a patient? Well, not only are they all patients, they're all the same patients. And it's like, well, if Samuel here at 17 was in my ER and he needed you know, some help, would he be a patient? Yeah. Well, what about if he's up seven years old? Is he a patient? Have patients' rights? Yeah. Well, what about when he was in the womb? Was he a patient? He sure was. But it goes back even earlier than that. We can now do diagnostic tests on the mother as early as seven weeks after conception. I can do a blood test and I can actually do genetic studies on the baby seven weeks after conception. And I can tell you with more than 99% accuracy if this is a baby boy or if this is a baby girl. You know, it's just amazing that this is a new and unique patient and a unique person. From the moment of conception, they're genetically unique from mom, dad, and the other 7 billion people on the planet. And the key is a patient is a person, no matter how small, and we have a duty to defend patients' rights. That's right. <laughs> wow, Dr. Bill. Um, has anyone ever told you you're CS positive? You know, uh, common sense? <laughs> Common sense positive over here, Dr. Bill. That, that, that just made a little bit too much sense uh, for everyone here. The, the, the pro-choicers don't really know what to say to you. Um, and that's why, of course, you're, you're a target of theirs. The abortion industry hates you. And I've seen some of the, 
the nasty hit pieces on you. Um, but, you know, as, as, as I often say on this show, Dr. Bill, reality tends to be self-evident, uh, right? Like I have a four-year-old and a one-year-old. When my four-year-old was two, or he might have been just shy of two, it was right around there. Um, I, we have these gorgeous embryoscopy photos um, from the Center yeah. for Bioethical Reform that are taken the same way that NASA takes pictures of space with the Hubble telescope. So thousands of photos <laughs> at that seven-week stage of the baby in the womb. You stitch them together. This is beautiful enhanced image that is representatively true, just a little bit more enhanced. And uh, it actually it might have been a, f- a five- or six-week um, unborn child. And I told it, showed my, my son, and I said, what's this? And, you know, he, he, he only knows a few words and he points and he says, baby, you know. And so I, I, I put that on Facebook, Dr. Bill. And I said, when your two year old is smarter than the entire Democrat Party, you know, we, we have problems exactly. um, be, because everyone knows it's a baby. Everyone starts pro-life as a child. And if you when you explain an abortion to a five year old, they're, they're they're pro-life. Um, it's only through ideology and sexual libertinism and kooky sexual and political ideologies that you begin to suppress that reality. And so everything you just spoke to, just like, boop, it's just a light switches on. You know, it just removes all of that um, ideological waste of the mind, uh, to quote uh, C.S. Lewis, that prevents the heart from embracing truth. And and that's why I'm so grateful for you for just cutting through with the truth in such a powerful way. But we covered that story on this show, this podcast Um Dr. Bill, when, when the news came out a couple months ago about that fetal open heart surgery at Cleveland Clinic, and we called the podcast The Stories That Pro-Choicers Hate, and we went through a few other sure. current ones too, because it's like, oh, well, if the baby's partially out of the birth canal and you say it's not a person in the womb, well, what if you take it out of the womb? Now it's a person, but then it goes back in the womb, so now it's a non-person again, and then it's born later, and now it's a person again. It's like, this is so ludicrous, and it's just a, the powerful stories. Um, as we sort of wind down here, Dr. Bill, um, I, I would love to hear your thoughts on what the, um, the pro-life doctors are, are facing and what's starting to come down the pike for people like you. Um, in America. I mean, obviously, the threats to medical freedom <laughs> and, and to conscience sure. protections has never been more obviously under attack than in the last two years. We won't get under mandatory. We won't start talking about mandatory jabs and, and all of that. We don't have the time. But I mean, it's it's ludicrous. And then you had the Biden administration um, weeks after I think uh, he entered the White House. The DOJ dropped that lawsuit against that Vermont hospital. Uh, where that doctor right. coerced that nurse into assisting with an abortion. To her regret, she she agreed. She could have left and said, fire me, but she assisted. Then she sued. It was one of the most clear-cut cases of conscience violations, um, in, in frankly, in American history. And under the Trump administration, there was a lawsuit against that Vermont hospital. Biden gets into the White House, and his DOJ drops the lawsuit. What are they communicating? They're communicating to pro-life nurses like that woman you better kill babies or else, or else you're going to be fired. And there's tons of examples of Democrat governors that have tried to do this in other states, try to coerce pro-life obstetricians and gynecologists to uh, perform, provide, or refer for abortions. And now in California, um, you know, you got Newsom teaming up with all these abortion rights uh, organizations to release 45 recommendations 
to turn California into a sanctuary state for killing babies. And some of those recommendations, Dr. Bill, as you know, are providing incentives for people to become abortionists, such as repaying their loans for medical school if they promise to kill babies, if they promise that once they get out of medical school, they'll become an abortionist. I mean, some sick, 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 sick stuff. Um, What are your thoughts about all of that? And and what would you say additionally to men like yourself who are pro-life, but they're, they're, they're not engaged, they're not speaking out, they're not involved in being a voice for the unborn in the medical field? Well, I'm also a life member of a group called APLOG, which is the oh, yeah. American Association of Pro-Life Obstetricians and Gynecologists. And we are the obstetricians that that are board certified practicing medicine who have the gravitas and board certification to stand up for the pre-born. But there's a very organized effort that is happening in the medical schools. Just as a refresher, four years college, four years medical school, and then for obstetrics, it's four years of residency. Then you can also go out and then do a fellowship afterwards. But what they are doing before you make that transition from medical school into residency is they are very intentionally trying to weed out any medical student that might have a pro-life background. They are scoping the uh, social media accounts because right now there are a lot of people that are applying to who want to practice obstetrics and gynecology. It's an amazing field. A lot of residencies actually have resident-run abortion clinics. And one of the questions I'll ask is, you know, if you are accepted into our program, would you have any problems practicing and working in our abortion, our residency-run abortion clinic? So they're intentionally trying to weed out any medical student that has a pro-life mindset before they even become an obstetrician or a gynecologist. Intentionally, within the next 15 to 20 years, there might not be many, if any, pro-life OBGYNs that are still out there. The ones who say, no, these are my patients. I will stand up and defend my patients' rights. I'm board certified in this. ACOG even has a fifth fellowship. There's always been fellowships that we've had for years in high-risk obstetrics. Um, Maternal field medicine is high-risk obstetrics. GYN oncology, cancer, uh, reproductive endocrinology, you know, in vitro fertilization, and urogynecology. But now there's a fifth fellowship, which is called complex family planning. And it's two years. It's like, well, you know, is complex family, what did you not learn during the four years about birth control pills and things like that? Well, essentially, it's a two-year board certification of fellowship training on late-term abortions because they're really seeing the laws making late-term abortions more available and a demand going up. So you spend 12 years of your life having healthy moms, healthy babies, then you transition. So there's just such a level of evil, but fortunately, we have a lot of pro-life OBGYNs. We need to become active, not just send in a membership, but really take a stand. Use the tools that you have on, you know, whether it is ultrasound or whether it is surgery. You have unique tools, you have unique stories, and you have unique examples, which you can give to other people. Have you ever heard of a delayed interval delivery? Is that a term you've ever heard? Okay. It happens with identical twins. We had a mom here a few years ago. She was 25 weeks pregnant with identical twins. And she was at a concert and she actually broke her bag of water and she was rushed to our hospital. She delivered the first baby, baby A, an identical twin. I mean, one egg, one sperm came together and then before day 13, they divided it into two identical copies. 
Well, the first baby, when the baby got brought to our you know, OBER, that first baby delivered before we could even do anything. And that baby went down to our NICU. $70 million we just spent on our new children's and pediatric hospital. $70 million. That baby's down with all the technology, the nurses, and the doctors. The second baby, identical twin, conceived at the same moment in time, one egg, one sperm. That baby's still on the inside and stable. That bag of water is intact. Our maternal fetal medicine doctors say we have two NICUs here at our hospital. We have the one down with all the doctors, nurses, and equipment, and we have the one designed by God, which actually does a better job as long as it's a good environment. We can give the mom steroids, betamethasone or dexamethasone. What do steroids do? They can protect the baby's brain, they can mature the baby's lungs, and protect the baby's bowels when they are very preterm babies. So we don't just get hours, we don't just get days. I was reading about a case up in Tennessee, they got six weeks before, between identical twins being born. I mean, you can have one twin born in June, the other one born in August. I mean, they could be in different school years, first grade, second grade, as identical twins, which is cool science, but here's the evil. The baby that is down in the NICU has all the rights and protection that I would have in a cardiac care unit. It's identical twin conceived of the same egg, the same sperm, just because of its geographic location being 200 feet away from twin A. If mom were to choose, she could say, you know what? We didn't want two, we would really just wanted one. She could legally go to a clinic in Virginia, my home state of New Jersey, New York, and abort an identical twin just because of its geographic location. Unreal. Geography doesn't give us or take away our rights. Our rights come from God, it's the role and the duty of good government to protect our rights. So when we have a right to being a person from that moment of conception, because we're created, we're conceived in the image of God, that's something very precious to me. I mean, why does why would somebody burn the American flag? They burn the American flag because it represents the image of the United States. If you don't like the United States, you want to attack the image of the United States. And the American flag represents the image of the United States. So when you break it down, what is abortion? Abortion is an attack on what God himself says. This, in Genesis 1:26, God says, and God said, let us make man in our image. Abortion is an attack against the image of God. If you hate God, you want to attack the image of God. So you hate the United States, you attack the image of the United States, which is the flag. You hate God, you attack that image of God, which is this precious baby inside the womb. So we try to give these kind of examples to equip somebody who might not have the spare time to spend four years in college, four years in medical school, and four years in residency to get this appreciation. But we can take them to medical school on just a conference level, and they can walk out. They might not be ready to do a C-section, but they are ready to defend God's preborn with accurate scientific knowledge that's good bro uh the that's the delayed good. delivery <laughs> examples that's that's as powerful i i when you really want to troll the left by the way bill you can say that you're a fetal refugee advocate um that you, you support the, the rights of fetal refugees regardless of their location uh and then they're really like ah um but that's really good bro um i i, I i'm glad you you spoke to the pro-life doctors because that's that's really been burdening my heart I, I'm very concerned about that um, because I'm not seeing enough brave men like you, brother, who are standing and speaking life and contending not just for the rights of the unborn first and most importantly, but also for the rights of, your, of you, 
of other doctors to say, listen, I'm going to do all I can to ban abortion. But in the meantime, while it's legal, how dare you tell me to crap on the Hippocratic Oath by by coercing me into performing, referring or assisting with abortions? And frankly, I don't want to go to a doctor um, with my pregnant wife, Bill, that thinks that abortion is a blessing of liberty. I don't trust that doctor. I don't trust your moral compass. I don't trust you to do good for my family and to protect my rights when you believe that the first and most important of all rights, life, can be denied to an entire class of human beings because they don't meet their parents' litmus test of wanted. Anyone that has that moral structure, framework, and compass is not someone I'm going to trust to give me accurate medical information based off of a sound, rational, moral mind. And, and, and the fact that they want to weed out pro-life OBGYNs from American medicine is deeply concerning. And I think that, that, that families need to realize how deeply concerning that is for the health of the country and the health of our posterity. So I appreciate you being one of those leading voices, Bill. Thank you so much. Hey, as we say goodbye, brother, Absolutely. where can people connect with you? Where can they learn more, follow you, uh- or book you for an event? Um, you can go to my website, which is prolifedoc.org. We have over 100 videos. You can just look under D-R-L-I-L-E on YouTube. We try to put up one almost every week, and we put up one about the uh, new abortion law that they're trying to pass in California. We put that up today. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome, Dr. Bill. Well, thank you for joining the show today, brother. You're a precious warrior. We look forward to having you back on. Thank you, Seth. God bless you on all your work. And if I can do anything, just give me a call. <laughs> Thank you. Keep it up, man. Thanks for joining the show today, okay. guys. Uh, this is a fun episode. Go, go and save this one. Put it on repeat. Uh, you know, memorize some of those those great little talking points and arguments from from Dr. Uh, Bill Lyle, William Lyle, ProLifeDoc.org. We'll put the the link in the show notes. You'll definitely want to follow him. And again, if you're a pregnancy resource center director, right, a wonderful guest for a keynote at a pregnancy center banquet, uh, a church, a youth conference, anything like that. Uh, he's a powerful voice that just cuts through the lies and political ideologies with the truth as someone who is actually saving the babies right now. Um, and so um, we're, we're grateful for him. Thank you guys for joining the show today. Uh, head on over to iTunes, Spotify, YouTube. Give the show a rating and review. I, I say it all the time, but we really appreciate it. Give us five stars. It drives the show up the charts. More people see it. Share it with a friend as well. Maybe a pro-choice friend, a pro-choice uh, uh, you know, nephew or niece or son or daughter that's in medical school and challenge them with this content. If you want to learn more and connect with me online, you can follow me at Facebook, uh, Instagram, TikTok, um, or my website, sethgruber.com to sign up for my newsletter, to see my speaking schedule, or to book me for an event. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you soon. I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. Hey! Hey!